I do know because I listened to it last week. Oh, man. All right. Well, we're rolling. We're live. This is a new week and a new show. Wiggins, you, you claim to know what episode this is. Do you? 158. Yes, you are correct. This is the uh, 158th episode of the Creative Writing Podcast. we got a lot of junk to talk about this week, and we have a guest on the phone. Welcome to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Introducing your hosts. I don't know what to call myself. This is my dad, Junkie Turdman. <laughs> I was showing Turdman this earlier. Chris, the Whammer Jammer Wiggin. It's ugly as f- for sure. But I could ask my grandpa; he wouldn't remember. You get to you get to do it. That's- I'm gonna forget to talk like a pirate, and you're gonna say that I lose. <laughs> The crazy and random topics they talk about. Because you don't have enough bikes. I'd like to learn about some of the stuff we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in a weird mood tonight, man. I think that's kind of a, a weird statement. Also, Michelle, thank you for congratulating me on the gratuitous use of cocaine. I don't know, I grew up in the Midwest. I think I may have given Nick a gym an erection. It's co-host Chris, what else do I need to know? All right, well, that you're a bad mofo from uh, Indiana. And I'm like, fuck, I got a flat. Be the change you want to see or whatever that uh, famous quote from, I think it was Abe Lincoln said that. So, hey, on the phone, we have somebody that I've I've listened to quite a bit on a few podcasts, but I haven't heard in a little while. So I thought, what the heck, I'll, I'll do what everybody does nowadays and befriend you on Instagram, <laughs> right? Like that's the new, slide new on, thing. Slide on into my DM. <laughs> right. And so I slid on into there and uh, and asked you. So I'm going to go ahead. I always ruin this part normally, but I think I got it this time. I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Take it away. Cool. My name's Spencer Hill. Uh, I go by the gear dude on Instagram. Uh, I unfortunately gave myself that moniker uh, a couple of years ago when I started doing all this, but uh, I'm an adventure motorcycle enthusiast, uh, photographer, writer, uh, sometimes a uh, traveler, and uh, all-around uh, adventure guy, and uh, <laughs> that's what I do. Nice. Where are you coming to us uh, from tonight? Uh, I'm looking in the Pacific Northwest, just north of Seattle. Rad. Are you up there right now? Yeah, that, yeah. that's where I am right now. How is the uh, weather? Is it wintry up there right now? I mean, it is stinking January. I would imagine that it would be, but it's been surprisingly warm and not rainy down here. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty miserable right now. <laughs> awesome. Does that make for good adventure riding and good? Um, you know, does that give you some time to write articles and all that great stuff that you maybe need a backlog from the summertime? Yeah, definitely. This is my time of year to like play catch up yeah. on just all the crap that, that piles up. Like I'm sitting in my office right now and it's literally like just piled up with crap from the summer. But, uh, I don't know. I've been kind of prissy this year and, uh, I've really just traveled a lot. Uh, I've gone down to Southern California I think like every month since September uh, to go ride just nice. because it's so much nicer than than trying to get out here. Uh, and I know how prissy that sounds, but uh, it, it's really cool. I've done more riding this, this winter uh, not here than I have here. So. <laughs> nice. Well, I, you, I could not disagree with you that it's really uh, good riding weather down here and has been um, – 
you know, this winter especially has been really nice down here, actually. Not not rainy and not a thousand degrees. And uh, so I would come down here too, except for I already live here. So <laughs> um, when you come down, whereabouts do you head out to? Uh, October, I spent uh, a week in Death Valley. Mm, okay. Uh, and I was doing a, a ride guide for advpulse.com and uh, just hanging out. That was really cool. And then... Uh, November when I was down, I was in, uh, I'm going to slaughter the name, uh, a sink two wells, or I don't know how you say it. Ocotillo. Yeah. Ocotillo. Yeah. Yeah. I was at, uh, an event, um, the Geico adventure rally there and with a couple friends for four or five days, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Rad. For all yeah. those for all those non Californians, when you look up on a map, just look for Ocotillo Wells, and you'll know where he's talking about. Yeah, it is a weird spelling. <laughs> it's, it's Spanish, so you know it doesn't look like yeah. it sounds. But yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, if I remember correctly, October wasn't it unseasonably hot? Uh, I forget it. Wasn't there a couple like ninety degree days in October? Yeah. Well, we were in Death Valley too, so. I don't know. It seemed like it was in the 80s, the the mid-80s. I remember because we were doing like two days away from any sort of civilization. So we had to carry water uh, water and food for like two days. So it was a a pretty big pain in the ass. Yeah. It was a legit trip too, though, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was like my my third time back to Death Valley last year. Uh, I think twice last year and once a year before but uh i'm getting kind of familiar with that area or as familiar as you can get with that big of an area but i i really really dig it and uh i think i've got to go back there like every winter yeah oh yeah you know it's that's the time to go if you go during the summer it's like 130 degrees and you literally will dehydrate when about five minutes of driving out there yeah um i want to i want to put a pin in this because i want to talk about you know trips out there and stuff like that if you're not familiar with the area you're saying you've come out a few times and you're just getting familiar so uh you know for the people that aren't familiar i want to stick a pin in that and come back um you're also you say you're a writer you're a photographer are you doing all that stuff i mean is that what you're doing when you're out on these trips are you not only doing these events but you're also you know taking photos and, and getting articles and stuff like that yeah, I mean that's that's all I'm doing when I'm out on uh, this type of trips is photos and sort of caching things for for stories and uh, reviews that I'm doing yeah. in the future. And I do a lot of marketing projects for uh, adventure-oriented motorcycle companies. So I have like shot lists where I'm you know, taking pictures of uh, different products that people are wearing or different products that are on people's bikes that they're going to use for marketing efforts or I'm going to use for marketing efforts. So, yeah. And if yeah. you if you head over to GearDude.com or is it TheGearDude.com, you'll see, I mean, you have a whole list of partners that you that you work with and sponsors. Is it Does it take some of the fun out of writing? I mean, do you have you done a trip just for yourself where you didn't have to like plan out a shot or worry about what gear you're taking and what you're going to say about it and how you're going to frame it and all that stuff? Uh, I plan parts of trips that are like that now. Okay. And a hundred percent it's taken some of the enjoyment out of it, but I get, I've got a lot of really cool opportunities that I think outweigh that. 
Um, but it's definitely important now this last year, I really started doing things where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be at this event for three days and I'm pretty confined to following people around and making sure that I get these shots and, and getting the, the whole aspect of all the, the, the story pieces and stuff. Uh, but then I'm going to spend three days afterwards with a buddy just riding in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and, that, yeah that's cool. I mean, because Wiggins and I will talk about, you know, when he's racing, sometimes it's nice just to go, like, take the bike out and camp or, like, go, go. He likes doing track days because yeah, he's been, different. Yeah, you spend your whole time traveling. Like, he's got a pretty big schedule coming up with uh, Flat Out Friday and the, and the one and all that stuff where he's going to be traveling and driving and racing and it's part of the job. But then he likes to come back and do a track day just on a street bike just to get away, you know, to relax. <laughs> and that's, yeah. it's funny to say to relax because you're doing a track day, but I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so much more like stress involved when it's a race. And like you said, like I'm going to be in a vehicle for almost two weeks, you know, and it's like racing. It's like, Oh, here's two minutes and five minutes and 10 minutes. And it's like, you know, I'm probably not even going to have an hour worth of riding spread out over all that drive, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many hours driving. I mean, just to Portland's 20. So it's nice to just, like, go to the track and not worry about competition and not worry about, like, a race or anything and just, like, ride a motorcycle and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's I think that's really important to do when you're involved in, the, in any industry. But with the motorcycle thing, a lot of the people that I've talked to – have done the same thing. And it's, it's just about segregating that time because whenever you try to mix it, it, it seems like one aspect misses out or the other, you yeah. know, or one part suffers, you know? And you just, I mean, it's, you can get burnt out with too much of, of the same thing. Like, you know, I race flat track, but I, it was kind of accidental in a way. Like I just like to ride motorcycles and that happens to be the one that like, I was good enough to like help have people help me pay for it and stuff like that. So it's, it's awesome to be able to do that, but it's awesome to go ride my sport bike on the track because it's what I'm not good at, you know? So it's, yeah, it definitely, it's good to like mix it up and just remember why you enjoy riding motorcycles in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we, I know Wiggins background because we've been hanging out a little while, but how did you get into motorcycling and how did, you know, what led you to where you are today? Um, it was all just travel. Really. I, I bought a 1969 Honda, like CL 175 scrambler. Yeah. Uh, like this was probably eight years ago or nine years ago. And, uh, I bought that and, uh, I had no experience on motorcycles whatsoever. And, uh, I was kind of an adult then. And, uh, I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. And then I saw a Triumph Bonneville somewhere or a buddy bought a Triumph Bonneville. And I was like, that's a really cool bike. And so then I bought that and I took my, uh, girlfriend, now wife on, uh, like a 6,000 mile trip, uh, with like no idea what we were doing, just right. all the way down, all the way down the West coast. And then all the way back up through Yosemite and Yellowstone. We were gone for like five weeks. Oh, wow. That sounds we, cool. Yeah. I mean, like I had, I had no tools with me. I had no idea. It was so funny to look back on now, but anyways, on that, <laughs> on that ride, I ran into this asshole on a KTM and he like pulled up to us somewhere. We were on the, 
uh, Avenue of the Giants in uh, the Redwood Forest, you know? And uh, he was telling me about the Lost Coast. And he was like, well, you couldn't do it on that bike. But on my bike, this KTM here, you could take it anywhere, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that guy's a dick. And uh, then <laughs> I had like literally I didn't know what a, a friggin' KTM was. And uh, so anyways, I, I got back from that trip and it seemed like I was like, holy shit, I missed the mark. This whole adventure riding thing is awesome. And, you know, then that's when I picked up my first copy of like ADV Moto magazine, like soon after that. And I got rid of the Bonneville and I got a BMW 800 GS because I saw the long way around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rad. And then I've just been doing adventure travel ever since then. Adventure stuff. Man, crazy. How many how many bikes have you gone through? Just those, that handful? Uh, and then two 690s, KTM 690s, and uh, uh, the 1090 that I have now. Okay. Yeah, I think the first place I ever heard you was probably on the Cafe Racer podcast, and they were talking, they were like just going gaga over uh, some of the stuff they'd seen you do. I think they might have met you at Overland Expo or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, I, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but And they were just talking about, the you know, I think you got both of them hooked on KTMs because they both own KTMs now. And I think Steve had a Triumph Tiger that he got rid of and now has a KTM or whatever. And yeah. uh, I know Crash just recently got a KTM. And they were just impressed, you know, the stuff that that you were doing on that. And uh, so it was funny. They were talking about, you know, the – the stuff you were doing, the gear you had, and and I know they're big gear guys. We're not huge big gear guys here at the Creative Writing Podcast, and um, mostly because Chris is sponsored by Icon, so he gets like free Icon gear, and I'm so cheap. I you know I get whatever I can afford at the time. You and, get some free Icon gear, and then yeah, and then I just take whatever people throw at me. Like Wiggins threw me some helmet and, and jackets and shoes and stuff. So you are the gear dude, and um, one of the thing, one of the reasons. I, I wanted to have you on the show is a not only do you do all these crazy adventure um, you know your adventure marketing and your partner with with brands and gear but you've got like basically 10 years starting with your crazy adventure <laughs> you know without any gear to what you're doing today and I know Christmas just happened and people probably have a lot of gear that their grandma got them or their aunt got them and they're they're like, ah, oh, thanks, you know, and smiling. And then they're like, return this ASAP, you know, or <laughs> they got those Visa credit cards and they want to go spend that, you know, Cheddar. I don't think Cheddar is like the right term for like money anymore, huh? I'm so old. <laughs> but they want to, you know, all this free money or stuff that they can sell or trade in after Christmas, get some new gear. I mean, this is the time of year when people get new stuff. So I kind of wanted to ask you, um, what, like if you were, uh, somebody wants to go, Hey, get into ADV or something like that this year, or even just go like moto camping or something, what would be like the basic thing that you would tell somebody to have? Let's say like, let's start small. Let's say they only have like a hundred bucks or something like that. What would be like the one thing or like the, you know, pack for a hundred bucks that you would tell somebody to go get, you know, you got to have this. If you even want to try getting into moto camping, if you're thinking about, you know, dipping your toe in to go into ADV full on or something like that. hundred bucks. That's really hard. Yeah. I mean, that uh, won't even buy a helmet, right? That, that won't even buy a good helmet. Goes, 
everything's so expensive. My my advice, this goes way over the hundred dollars, but my advice to everybody is always invest in a helmet first. Okay. Like whatever you're gonna like, because for me, a helmet's comfort, it's safety, it's you know, it's it's everything. So I'd say more than just like you know one item for cheap, just write down on a piece of paper like everything that you think you need. And then prioritize it with safety first yeah. and comfort second. Yeah. You know. Hey, have you, but, ever, have you ever been on the uh, Motorcycles and Misfits podcast up in Santa Cruz? Uh, no. Okay. That Liza, the host of that show, has like these like $1,500 helmets. But you know what you'll find her riding around town in? Her $10 like <laughs> eBay helmets. She, yeah, she wear- has like nicer rides and stuff. <laughs> and then wears like belts. Yeah. Oh yeah, she because she, the- she's like I don't want to like tear like wear them out. Yeah, and I'm like if you keep them, especially if you keep them in your garage, like they'll go bad anyway. Oh yeah, like it, my wife hates it because I'm like I'll get a new helmet. She's like you need to put those in the garage, and I'm like no, the they, vapors like, they just go bad in yeah. the garage. Like don't do yeah. that. So like, so and that's the frustrating thing about helmets too is like they've got that, that and they expire. Rate. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like holy crap, that's a lot of money, but. So, so you're, know, you're not talking like a $50 bill from Walmart or something like that then, right? So you're saying save up a couple hundred bucks and get at least a decent helmet. Yeah. And especially because you're going to spend time on the bike. I mean, for me, I've got, uh, you know, headache issues and neck issues. So uh, a heavy helmet that's really loud drives yeah. me insane. There you go. You know, so... It, and I don't get people, I mean, I, well, I do people that ride with open face helmets and stuff, but not for like a super traveling oriented type of trip where you're covering miles and stuff. Because, you know, for me, I like a nice quiet helmet. I've got my Bluetooth set up where I'm listening to music or podcasts the whole time. I'm not eating bugs, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I don't know how people ride in open face helmets except for I can I'm assuming that most of them either have like a fairing or a windshield because that would drive me nuts. Like, it's already yeah. loud enough in a closed face helmet, you know. Yeah, I don't. My dad's Goldwing. I like an open face, but that's because that visor is so big. Yeah, you need like it. wind flow. Yeah, but I, I like. Even on my Harley, I remember when I moved to California, like I got an open face, like a three quarter, because I was like, oh, dude, I'm riding my Harley. And I rode to Sturgis that year, and I've never worn an open face since. <laughs> yeah, they suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so good helmet. Let's l- let's assume that somebody's already riding, and they already know motorcycles are expensive. They have five hundred bucks, so they already got a bike and some gear, and now they're like, I kind of want to, you know. I, I got these knobbies for real cheap off Amazon <laughs> and now I got a quote scrambler. Uh, so I'm going to go try out, you know, going in the woods. What would you recommend? Let's say for 500 bucks let's up the ante real. I mean, that's a steep curve from a hundred to 500, but right. you, you know, let's do it. This is, well, my, this is my show, my rules. Let's just, <laughs> let's do half a half a grand. I don't think this would even cost uh 500 bucks, but uh, a GPS unit. Mm. You know, like a Garmin Oregon or uh, a secondhand like Garmin Montana or something like that where you could – because that's the way I fell in love with adventure riding in in eastern Washington. It was just being able to to see all the spider webs of of forest service roads and uh, like service roads that are out there 
and being able to zoom out on your thing and say, oh, this connects to this, this connects to this, and just being able to to wander around and, and see parts of your backyard or your country or whatever. That That's all we need to do. I can, to see. I can take the sporty off some decent stuff. Yeah, as long, yeah. As, as, long as you know where, what's there. Yeah. yeah, as long as they know where the roads go because I've got flat track tires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost off-road, right? Those, those are kind of dirtish. Um, yeah, yeah. You, that's one thing I really hate about, you know, my Google Earth and, and trying to remember where stuff is because you're never going to get it right on your phone and you're going to have to have your phone mounted to your bike and then you're going to fall over and it's going to ro- roll down the hill or something. So a good GPS. I've lost, I've lost two two iPhones off the handlebars of bikes. <laughs> I've I've totally fried at least two phones heat in Arizona and stuff. So a lot of people use like the GPS navigating apps for off-road and stuff, but I really just don't think it's safe or practical if your phone overheats or you're in the middle of nowhere and you drop it into a lake or something and then you don't even know how to get out of the woods, you know. Right, there you go. And and a lot of bikes are coming with some sort of, well, not, I shouldn't say a lot, but um I I do notice that there are some that aren't only you know, touring bikes that are now coming with like a built-in GPS and some of the more pricey Enduros like uh, Ducatis and the KTM stuff is coming with that kind of built-in, at least some sort of weird native uh, GPS or native app, right? Yeah. And I think I think we're a couple of years off of that, you know, just like when they started putting car nav in, you know, but uh, I think eventually it'll get to the point where you, like you're saying, you don't need a aftermarket unit you yeah know? if you're gonna have like a tft dash or you know a digital dash they're gonna just put that in there um yeah. and yeah. i thought for for 500 bucks the best money you could spend is taking uh a training course or uh you know a multi-day off-road training course because being able instead of developing bad habits like i did and then taking a whole bunch of training to like break those bad habits you can just start with like good form and, uh, you know, uh, actually knowing what you're doing. I think that's the, that makes the riding a whole lot more enjoyable. Right. Right. And that's good. Uh, that's good advice. Um, and then, uh, how much are these things? Like if they're not quite 500 bucks for the GPS or whatever, what do they usually run? For, for uh, like a secondhand Montana, which is a pretty standard uh, off-road, you know, uh, GPS unit that's used for like backpacking and hunting and stuff, you can probably find them for two hundred or three hundred bucks secondhand. Cool, that ain't bad. Uh, yeah, and then in Oregon is probably it's like a smaller version of that with a little bit less functionality, and that's probably. Uh, 150 or 200 bucks. Oh, wow. So you got a little bit of room to spare then in your uh, $500 budget. I've never even heard right. of those sub models. So that's kind of uh, cool that they have, uh, you know, different levels of, uh, of, I'm assuming it's like the map, whatever is available on the maps is what's different with those, or is it the size and capacity? It's the size and capacity. And most of the maps that they use are the same. You can plug in the, the same maps. Um, yeah. All right. But, uh, so you got your you got a navi unit and you let's say you spend 250 on one uh and you still have 250 left what what uh, what else would you buy for that Uh I would start working and if we're working on camping on yeah. the bike too Yeah Yeah I would start with 
uh, with a sleeping bag. Okay. I would start then working my way down in in stuff like camping. Like, you know, you can have a crappier tent if you have a nicer sleeping bag. So I start with a, a nicer sleeping bag and kind of work my, my way down from there. What uh? Who makes a good moto sleeping bag? Because those things are huge. My sleeping bags. Uh, if I didn't have, you know, the one time I used them with Chris, he has a Dodge pickup, and they took up half the back of it. <laughs> I mean, they're like <laughs> old school rolled. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not uh, not for super cold weather, but they're they're pretty warm, I guess. But what for a motor motorcycle? You you don't want to have a huge you know bedroll on there. What what uh? What's a good brand for for motorcycling? Basically, anything that is for backpacking or okay. ultralight backpacking. Yeah. Um, so, like, I work a lot with the brand Big Agnes. Um, they make some really trick stuff. Uh, the problem that you run into with any of the ultralight gear that is very good for um, motorcycle travel, but it's also meant for backpacking, is it's usually pretty fragile uh for you know getting jarred around on a bike and it's right. also usually really expensive okay so it's all about just uh, sort of crunching numbers and figuring out the apex between uh how much you want to spend or how much you can spend and how much weight and space that's going to take up you yeah. know yeah that makes sense and i know when wiggins goes to his hooligan things a lot of times he's sleeping in the van um stuff's getting thrown around between bikes and toolboxes and gear and all that stuff. So if you uh, are trying to use a multi-purpose thing, you know, and you got your expensive but fragile backpack, that's going to get ruined real quick. <laughs> and then when you go to go moto camping, you're going to be freezing. Uh, so, okay. And I always think it's funny. I kind of chuckle when I, I watch documentaries about people that ride bicycles from like, you know, the, the trail from Canada to, uh, Mexico and they do it on a bicycle. Right. And all these dudes though, that go traveling think they have to have like a pan, you know, 83 gallon pannier and like a 50 gallon top box. And then like a couple things to strap stuff here and there. And it's like dudes on bicycles do it with a backpack and like a tiny little thing that straps to their frame somewhere. So I know they make they act, it, you know, they act like they're riding through the, the Darien gap or something yeah. like that. Yeah. When in all reality, it's like, I tell people they're like, well, what, what if I forget this? I'm like, you will be within a hundred miles of a Walmart guaranteed. <laughs> like at some point, like even on like where you're riding through the middle of nowhere backcountry, at least once a day you'll pass through a town yeah. that has like virtually everything you'll need. So yeah, it's, yeah. Even out, but the overpacking overpacking is a is a comfort blanket, you know. Like right. with sort of with anything, but especially with that, for some reason people people love filling up their their panniers, you know. Yeah, with non essential. Uh... This is my 18th pair of underwear. Dude, we're going to be gone for three days. Oh. What I've learned on long motorcycle trips too, like especially cheap white t-shirts, underwear, and socks, like you don't – like that shit, yeah, you stop at Walmart, you like throw it away and buy more so that you're not like carrying it all around and trying to wash it and like carrying dirty clothes with you. Like it's just not worth it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you buy it cheap enough, you can just, why wash it? Just throw it away. Well, or I know some people will like mail it back to themselves at like mail it back home. But you know, if it's like cheap stuff, you just get rid of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's bump up to, um, let's say a thousand bucks. Somebody's got a grand grandma was real nice to him this winter 
and uh, or they got a bunch of uh, a really uh, nobody knew what to get them, so they just got them gift cards or like uh, Amazon or or uh, Visa, you know, bank cards. And they got a, a grand burning a hole in their pocket, and they really want to go out and do this. And again, same thing. They got a bike. They got decent street gear and maybe they bought some knobblies maybe they didn't but they want to go moto camping and they're going to do it big they want to go out for a weekend they got a grand to spend what would you what would you recommend for that um well at that price point i'd probably say a good riding suit um but it's hard to say if they already have street gear chances are they can make that work right and it isn't like a top priority yeah um but if they don't i mean a, a good jacket and pants combo is like what i would invest money in because if you do it right that's going to last you at least a couple years yeah and uh on trips you're you're living out of that suit you know so uh i would say that's probably like the next most important thing Right. And every, you wouldn't be an ADV rider and you would not own a BMW uh, R1200 GS if you didn't own an Aero Stitch, right? I mean, that's like the go to right. uh, <laughs> the flight. Suit. Would, I, I totally owned a one piece Aero Stitch. Nice. I mean, every everybody had to own one of those things, man. Yeah. I, that's all I hear. You know, the wheel nerds guys talk about theirs all the time because they just keep getting them fixed because I guess there's like a lifetime guarantee on them or something. Uh, <laughs> or they'll, you know, they'll repair whatever th- whatever's wrong with it. And so they are, they're always talking about their stitch. Oh, my stitch this, my stitch that. It's like 12 years I old. Called it, I called it my marinating bag. Because <laughs> right. it, 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 was like, it was like hot out. That thing didn't breathe for shit. And like literally... <laughs> You're just like marinating it. It created this climate inside of the suit that was like, oh, it's friggin' terrible. Yeah, like a tropical but jungle. Great. If you if you like commute, like I can totally see it. Even climb, uh, they apparently thought it was useful. They just uh, they're just releasing a, a one piece suit now to to sort of rival the ground huh. stitch one. Is it? I mean, uh, about three years ago maybe three and a half years ago i was um i talked to steve from cafe racer a few times and he asked me do you think adv is dead because at that time i get i'm trying to remember why he would ask me that but maybe people were talking about it because that's when the scramblers and all that stuff was really hitting hard and the Mm -hmm. um the bolt was coming out and the ca- like the factory cafe racer slash scrambler scene was kind of taken out. They were starting to market to younger people. And I think he felt like ADV was for older guys, but I got to tell you, I mean, if Harley Davidson is planning on coming out with the ADV bike next year, it's taking, it's doing nothing but taking off. I mean, KTM who made off-road bikes for a long time, got into sport bikes for a hot second and then was like, wait, what are we doing? Let's get back into ADV. You know what I'm saying? And triumph of all people who covers, everything but dirt bikes they also have advs you know everybody's got a adv thing and it seems like to me it seems like it's actually growing yeah i think it's I, well, I, a growing i think thing. it's it's a really fast growing one of the fastest growing segments in motorcycles right now right yeah, yeah. i would agree yeah i mean i look at just because you know it's a company i work with but look at all the stuff that icon makes for it you know they went for the most part from the stunt scene and then into the ADV stuff really heavily. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if they were the first one with the street moto style helmet, but I know it was the first popular one. And then yeah. a lot of people, you know, jumped on board after. But 
you know that it, and Raiden Icon and what they did with Raiden was like one of the first brands to like wholeheartedly embrace the yeah. whole TV thing and make yeah. it like this whole I don't know even know what to call it, but they did a lot of really cool marketing behind that. Yeah, they and did. You could tell that they actually gave a shit about you, it. And they, they got were the right people managing yeah. it. You know, they were good. I remember when they first started, uh I obviously wasn't sponsored by them then. It was early two thousands, mid you know, two thousand five, something like that. Um, and they they were the first ones to actually put some style into their stuff, but it was still protective. They were the first ones to really make stylish gear for women and make a variety of stuff for women and actually have like a woman's line um, instead of just smaller sizes. And then, yeah, they were probably the first one to really put some effort into the ADV stuff. I mean, of course you have like arrow stitch and stuff, but to actually make it um, for lack of a better word, cool and put some style on it. Um, you know, and yeah, like you said, like really kind of, they made some cool videos with it and really marketed towards it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a section of motorcycles right now that I think you're right. It is really growing. Um, you know, like I was joking with tournament about taking my flat tracker, but you know, it's, it's kind of a cool section of motorcycling because it's a, it's a section where it's like, no, go ride your motorcycle. You know, these people are going out and buying nice beamers and nice KTMs and they're actually off-roading them and riding them and putting some miles down. And it's so cool to see that. <clears throat> and I think it's really good for motorcycling because so many different parts of it, you know, people buy these fancy bikes and they park them in the garage and they ride them to the coffee shop and, and they go tell their friends how cool they are, but they don't <laughs> actually thrash them. Yeah. And man, ADV, it's just cool to see everyone out, like just really ripping them and putting the miles down. And I, I think, I think the whole adventure segment is sort of predicated on the, the idea that motorcycling is, is freedom, right? That's why everybody likes the, the freedom involved. And then it sort of goes, takes it next level, and you're like, "Oh shit, I'm not limited by pavement anymore." You yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not limited by gas stations. I'm not limited by uh, hotel rooms. You know, then all of a sudden, so it kind of snowballs. And I think that's why it's such an enticing thing to a lot of people. It, you know, no matter what they, where they go on that spectrum, whether it's round the world trip. Or, you know, it's just a, a weekend camping at the KOA or something. But I think it, it offers that additional freedom that's pretty enticing. Well, what's really cool about a lot of the bikes, too, is a lot of them are large bikes, you know, a lot of 1250s and stuff. They're good touring bikes, too. Like, they handle oh, yeah. surprisingly well. Um, so it's something where, you know, you can – it's not quite the – the long hauler as like a gold wing or a, a bagger Harley or something, but it's pretty darn close. And like you said, when you get to the end of the pavement, you can keep going. Like the gold wing is going to stop. So yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's just a cool section right now and everyone's yeah. doing it and you're, yeah, like you, I, it's a good way of putting it. Like, you know, people look at motorcycles like this form of freedom and not being limited by the pavement is just adding to that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen a lot of um, – well, before I, – I, there's a lot of chop shows now and a lot of like custom bike shows now. But before I felt like I was seeing a lot of like motos and Moab was a huge thing. And I, and scramblers were a lot of a lot of them built, but they weren't factory built. And now that the factory ones are coming on, I feel like it almost 
uh, bolsters the ADV scene a little bit because, like you know, like Chris said, he's got a sportster. I see a lot of dudes with sportsters making trackers, but what they're really doing is they're scrambling them. And and of course, with the uh, Ducati scramblers and stuff, I used to joke around like, who would scramble a friggin' you know nine hundred cc motorcycle? Because you didn't used to do that for yeah. original scramblers. You know, they were three fifty, you know, five hundred max probably, but. Thinking back about it, they really weren't super light, though, and I guess people are just kind of doing yeah, the same and thing. And they really didn't have good suspension oh, or yeah, brakes. They were, they were, you know, the Honda CL line compared to the CBs. They're like, let's throw a high pipe on there and yeah. some knobbies, and that was all they really <laughs> yeah, did. You know, so I, and I, that's what a lot of the the guys like that I know at like uh, Triumph of Seattle, like the general manager down there, Garrett. He he rides like a. Uh, what was like a, I think an 05 Bonneville or an 08 Bonneville. And he takes it to like tour tech rally and like off-road events and rides the living shit out of it. And uh, he's like, you know what? Back in the day, they didn't have dual sports. Like this was the dual sport. It really was, you know, those triumphs, you know, I mean, I see a lot of guys on the flat track. We got some cool vintage motocross stuff down here. I see a lot of those old triumphs coming out to do that stuff because that's what they did them on. The old 650 Triumphs were, they were everything to those people. Um, You know, so why not do it on the new ones, you know? Like, again, like... And Triumph Triumph has responded in a huge way. They just came out with their new Scrambler that has, like, legit off-road suspension. They were actually going to... A buddy of mine rides for him and he broke his leg broke his tib fib he was gonna do baja on it they did uh, oh shit yeah i i heard about that yeah, yeah ernie uh ernie broke his tib fib he was gonna do baja um so i mean they set it all up you know and it was one of their new scramblers they were gonna do baja the, the thousand on it it's like that's it's cool to see like that stuff you know that's a it's a big bike to do that kind of stuff on and i'm sure you know the 450s are hard to beat down there but I don't know, man. It's cool to see those big bikes do stuff. Like, you need to come down and talk me into doing um, Barstow to Vegas on my Sportster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, so I got a massive – I did LA Barstow Vegas last year – or not this past year, but the year before on a Africa Twin, and I got a massive concussion Ooh. Uh, on the on the first day. Like, I was with the editor of uh, ADV Pulse – and uh, he was like, "Dude, we gotta we gotta do the hard sections. We gotta do the hard sections. Like, <laughs> we won't be able to do the story unless we do all the hard sections." And I'm like, "Oh, whatever." So I'm on this borrowed Africa Twin from Honda, and uh, I wadded that thing up in third gear. I don't even really remember what happened, but it's in like deep sand, and mm-hmm. uh, I like came to in the desert riding the bike, and I was like, uh-huh. "Okay." where am I? I'm like, okay, I'm in the desert. I'm like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. And then I like kept going through these progressions. I'm like, oh yeah, I got a concussion real bad. Yeah. And uh, I I knew when I, I like, I was like, okay, when was the last time I got gas? And I was like trying to figure out the gas gauge. And then I was like, oh, I forgot cigarettes. I got to get cigarettes next time we stop. And then I was like, oh shit, I haven't smoked in like five years. I'm definitely messed up. <laughs> oh, dang. You were yeah. having flashbacks. It's yeah. crazy that you remember that much of it still though. Yeah. I, I got a I got a concussion once and I 
I did the same thing you did. I woke up walking home and I was asking my friend, dude, what happened? What happened? And he's like, you've been asking me that for the past half hour. I yeah. lost like 30 minutes of my life. Oh, <laughs> I remember just black, you know, I got two when I was a kid on bicycles and I don't, I remember like being at home that night and being at the hospital. That's it. Like I lost Uh-oh. like hours. Yeah. I can't believe you woke up riding. <laughs> that yeah. is- <laughs> and you're like going for it. Like, Oh man, <laughs> I woke up. Because, yeah. Fifth. yeah. They're the crazy thing. Cause you're not like, yeah, you probably got knocked out, but then it's like you're functioning and you under like, but you just don't recall it at all. Dude. And that, and that autopilot that your brain, that protective mode that it goes into is mm-hmm. kind of scary. And then, but just, you know, all the stuff that's going through your brain once it comes to man, I can't, I can't imagine. I, I, I did look at your website and I'd seen that you had uh, just done that. I didn't get in, I didn't read that article though. That would have been a, a good read. Did it make for hard uh, editing of the article afterwards when you couldn't remember a good portion of yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. I was the, so the next day we had like a chase vehicle, and so I just rode around in the chase vehicle shooting photos. So I ended up getting really killer shots on that trip but it was pretty funny i was just with my buddy robbie and he like kind of was like my keeper like sort of moving me around like okay we're going here now and we're going here now like dude i couldn't imagine um hey we're coming up on 45 minutes i think we should take a quick break and uh come back with spencer and uh fill in the blanks here with some sponsors for our show we'll be right back hang on to your hats for over 125 and a half years, no pickle has been more trusted by motorcycle champions everywhere than Clobman Pickles. You want to win your race? Put a Clobman Pickle in your face. Clobman's guaranteed. I'm Mama Clobman, and I recommend Clobman Pickles for the win. You heard Mama. Put a Clobman's in your mouth and a championship trophy on yourself. Clobman's the only pickle for motorcyclists. All right, and we're back. We had a lovely discussion during the break about all things dirt and motorcycling, and we decided that Chris Wiggins will be the next ambassador for creative writing to go off-roading. <laughs> um, hey, I want to get into, you mentioned you know, your, your LA B2B trip. Um, you mentioned that you, you spent the rest of the time doing photography, and I know that you're a photographer as well as a writer. Uh, what, I mean, you've got, I'm assuming a lot of stuff a lot of time and money invested in gear. Uh, mm-hmm. What about your photography? Is it the same sort of thing? Did you go into that? Or did you get into that before motorcycling or after or because of? And when you did, did you invest the same sort of money in uh, photography gear as you do in motorcycling gear? Because I know they're pr- they're pretty both expensive once you start really getting into it. Yeah, well, so how it kind of got started is uh my stepmom is a professional photographer um so since i was a little kid i i had an interest in it and she always sort of fed that that interest you know um and so i had an interest and then i didn't i was poor for a very long time when i was going to school and stuff and uh so i didn't have a nice camera or anything and then i started doing this whole motorcycle thing and uh, I don't know, it wasn't really on my radar. And it wasn't until I started writing and doing reviews where I realized what a pain in the ass it was to have to rely on other people to take photos. Yeah. You know, like I would need these high res shots of a helmet or me wearing a jacket or something. And I had friends that were in photography, so I, I could make it happen. 
But then it was just kind of like this aha moment of like, oh, shit, I should have my own camera and I should get back into this. And so that was probably uh, three years ago or so. And uh, I ended up buying a camera from a good buddy of mine who's a professional photographer and and traveler. His name's Tim Burke. Uh, So I bought his camera. And then I got really into it, and now uh, I've upgraded rigs uh, quite a few times, and uh, I've got silly amounts of money into the photography equipment that I carry with me and all the different setups, um, and it's turned into the thing that I like most uh, about traveling around and, and uh, doing these adventures is I like documenting them now and, and being able to actually share this stuff, yeah. you know, instead of just trying to write it out. I, I I find it so much easier to take these uh, photos and, and share them on even just Instagram, you know, just to show people like, Hey, this is what you can do. This is, you know, if you can dream it, you can do it and you should go do this, you know? Yeah. Did you, uh, did you have to take any, any, um, classes or anything like that to kind of refine it or, or did, did it kind of just come naturally or, or did you, you know, since you had your stepmom, were you able to kind of like, Hey, how do I, how do I get this exactly how I want it? Yeah, there was a lot of that and there was a lot of growing up like, hey, don't stand there, stand there for this photo and hey, don't take a photo like that. That's dumb or you're wasting your time. This is like film days, you know. Yeah. So like <laughs> you you're can't, wasting your can't time. waste you can't waste this negative. Yeah. Uh so do you have like a full like light meters <laughs> and, and uh auxiliary lighting and, and all that sort of stuff that you take with you, or do you rely mostly on on what's available in the landscapes or in the areas that you're shooting? For for travel stuff, it's all just what's available for me. So it's a lot of waking up before sunrise and riding past uh, uh, sunset, you know, yeah. like because we basically ride for those two times of the day. Yeah, and uh, following and that light, so, follow the good light or whatever that saying is. Yeah, yeah. So my my trips have kind of altered in in that way, where you kind of got to be first one up, uh, last one to sleep. But uh, I like it. I'm really into it. And like I said, I get I get a lot out of it. Yeah. Do you uh, you know, this might be a too candid of a question. How much money do you think you have invested in camera (laughs) stuff? Too much. Yeah, that's a good that's a good figure. I would say that, especially if your uh, wife's hanging around. (laughs) I was going to say I'm not going to say because my wife might listen to this. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want her hearing. Uh, actually not enough probably then let's just let's just tell her that if you really want to make the the, the pro shots probably need to spend uh, a little bit more um and then as far as motorcycle gear and and all that uh, how long have you been writing writing not writing but how long have you been um you know publishing stuff and sending stuff out and when did people finally start listening to you or you know saying hey this guy does good reviews of gear like let's you know let's ask him to do it for us I don't know when that moment was, um, like when I sort of like had to stop begging people to, to publish stuff that I wrote. Um, that was probably like two years ago, you know, but I've probably been writing and doing, I started out doing reviews and that was, so this is the fourth year of the, of the gear dude. So I think it's four years I've been doing it and I, I started it. Um, because I, uh, well, when I did that long trip with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, I really felt like I missed out by not documenting it. Right. And, and and I was like, 
I don't know why, but I couldn't just enjoy it. I wanted to, uh, to share it, but I couldn't figure out a way. So then sort of, I broke it down after that. And that's when I started thinking like, well, nobody's going to want to just listen to me talk about these trips, like right out of the gate. I'm not going to be able to sell this. So I took a cue from like the backpacking, uh, and outdoor industry where I'm like, shit, they got tons of people just reviewing gear. I was like, so I should just start there. That seems like a, you know, a really easy place to start. And it turns out that was a good place to start because it kind of got my foot in the door with a lot of places and with a lot of companies. And then, uh, I kind of took it from there and, and, and now I mostly, the, the stuff that I, I like to cover, uh, events and, uh, and big trips really. Yeah. yeah. And you, do you do this full time, right? I mean, this is like your gig and this is what you get paid to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is, and I still contract doing my, by trade, I'm a Marine engineer. Uh, so I work on, on ships and, uh, uh, diesel engines and, and, uh, Marine systems. But so I still contract doing that. Like during the winter time, I'll, I'll take contracts and stuff, but mostly this has turned into uh, a a full-time gig. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. Uh, I cry BS on that a lot, but cause, <laughs> cause I, everybody that I talk to has some other side gig, like you're, you know, your Marine engineering stuff. It's always nice to have a fallback. I, I do agree that in this, this economy and, uh, a lot of people coming up right now, they are trying more and more to make their dreams some sort of reality. And a lot of times it's like, Hey, let's do a YouTube channel or let's do now it's like podcasts. Like, Hey, let's do a podcast. But, to passionately do it and succeed at it and be good at it. And, uh, like you've got quite a bit of volume. So it's not just something that you decided to do like last week, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's like something you've been doing for a while. So, um, and it's definitely built over like four. And that's what people ask me all the time. Like, how do I get to where you're at right now? And I'm like, Oh man, you spend a shitload of time, yeah. uh, just doing stuff, doing stuff that you'd never get paid for. And that you never, you know, it's not, it's not like an overnight thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know really when it got to that point where, yeah. uh, it, where the transfer was T- 2018 was like a very, very good year for me. I got to do a lot of really cool stuff. And I, I really felt like, uh, I was, um, in the place that I wanted to be. Right. You know? so and, that, and was probably- that was like less than, you know, 10 days ago. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that's, and, and did, I would tell him, Hey, here's how you start. Take a 6,000 mile trip with a woman that you're going to eventually fall in love with. And then, uh, go from there with, with no gear. <laughs> and now, you know, talk about everything that you wish you had done and, and had, and, and you'll get here. Well, I think too, like what people don't realize is there was probably a point where you, worked a regular full-time job and then did that pretty well full-time anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> because you you have to build it up it's not like you just start off and and do it so like people don't understand like the time put in you know like before to actually kind of uh yeah to build that into something that you can get paid yeah. for you, you don't become a pro racer by buying the motorcycle and going to yeah, track one day I mean, you put in a, a lot of free hours <laughs> before you start getting paid for it um so it you know people like don't see that they don't realize that or think about that or yeah i don't know well another thing is too is people think that that things are free right yeah so even free gear there's no such thing as free gear because uh, I, I've got to work for everything that I get, 
you know? Yeah. And it, whether it's a sponsorship thing or something I'm reviewing, it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take uh, photos and equipment that I've had to buy to do that, you know? So you can't just do it, you know, and get stuff for free. It's it's just not the way that it really works. One, I, I notice with what I do too, a lot of people don't realize like the um, – the, a lot of that stuff that you're right, like it sounds free, but it, it comes with stipulations almost, you know? So it's like, yeah. oh, hey, like, yeah, I'll pay you this and give you this, but I need you to go do this and you're going to have to like spend your own money on it or whatever. Like, I, or, you know, like, yeah, they're covering so much of it, but you got to cover the rest of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely a lot of that with it. Yeah, I'm assuming people don't buy your food and gas when you're out there writing articles and getting concussions. They're probably not covering your hospital bill and all that great <laughs> stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I could see the sweat equity. I totally see the sweat equity in that. And, yeah, nothing's really for free, you know what I'm saying? Even if it's a review, even if it's a bad one, you still had to take the time to try it out and re- and find the words to put, you know, find words to describe the experience. And, and you, you know, even if it's a bad one, you still, that's, if it's a thousand words, you still got to find a thousand words to describe how inadequate something was, you know? Um, yeah. so, Hey, going really quickly, um, you know, I got to browse. I, like I said, I've, I've heard you before on another podcast, so I know you've been doing this a little bit and looking at your website, you've got a ton of, uh, you know, press and you've got a ton of stuff out there being published. Where are you, you know, who do you mostly do stuff for and what is your proudest, uh, article, you know, and what, where can people find like your proudest article, uh, personally um, for you? So I primarily contribute to, uh, adventure motorcycle magazine, ADV moto, uh, which is in print, um, ADV um, um, and upshift online I've done some contributing to, uh, probably, uh, some of my favorite stuff is some of the more recent stuff I've done with, uh, ADV pulse, uh, just because we've done like photo galleries along with stories that I've done where people can actually check out, you know, like the 25 or 50 other photos that we didn't use for the story, so they can actually see some of my my extra work. So that that's probably some of the stuff that I'm uh, I've liked the most. Yeah. Do you still go to uh, Overland Expo and IMS or AIM or any of that stuff uh, to check out new gear or, or to see what's happening still? Or are you kind of niched yourself down to where you only have to worry about the ADV market? No, I I really I uh, Overland Expo. Um, I like to go every other year just cause it's so much fun. Uh, and I love seeing all the new stuff that's it, it, overland expo is more just like uh, cool, like camping gadgets and, and uh, overland stuff than like gear, but an aim expo, I should have gone this year cause it was in Vegas, but I certainly didn't want to go uh, last year when it was in like uh, Columbus. Ohio. Or oh, yeah. Columbus. Or, or, yeah. 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 Columbus. It's going to be back there for the next couple of years. And then I think they're going to get oh, smart Jesus. and be like, listen, aim is pr- probably a Vegas uh, style thing. Yeah. <laughs> Most- I liked it. I liked it in Orlando too. I yeah. Mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like bad. I should have gone in Vegas then. Yeah. I but- mean, you know, so much of the motorcycle industry is in so, SoCal, or, you know, especially like a lot of motocross stuff and all that. So it was a good, um, I think it was a good location and Mandalay Bay was huge, you know, so it was a pretty good, um, place to see a lot of stuff. 
I think yeah. a lot of the factory stuff's here. I mean, Yamaha just moved a lot of their stuff, but their marketing's still here. Honda's still here. Harley stuff Honda is Harley and, Freight. Uh, Honda and KTM are uh, mirrored yeah. out of there. And uh, Kawasaki's, I think, based Ir- out of here. Irvine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a big Honda in Torrance, too. Um, Dayanese's here. Um, yeah, I mean, and built built well, and like all that kind yeah, of cool stuff. A, a lot of the aftermarket Harley industry is here, so yeah, it makes sense to have it kind of close to yeah. here. I mean, it's a good and and also uh, Columbus in November or September, even probably. Yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah, so Vegas, it was really nice, nice weather. Um, and when you uh, is is AIM Expo only every other year, or you just go every other year? No, that's what I'm saying. I probably go every other year. Yeah, yeah. Is there really that much advancements and stuff that, like, an every year thing could, uh, you know? Because even in the motorcycle industry in general, I mean, every if if they only came out with new motorcycles every other year, I don't think, you know, the advance, especially Suzuki, they could come out <laughs> come out with them every ten years, and they would be, you know, nothing new. But uh, you know, it's really it's really just going to check out stuff that we already know about, right? Because <laughs> you hear about motorcycles and gear so far in advance that half the time it's like, well, I want to go see this in person because I've been reading about this and looking at spy photos of it for two years now. And it takes them that long to put it out. So then when they finally release it, yeah, you already know the details about it. You just want to see see it in person. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's new stuff because you've been like looking at it for so long, but I, I think there is, there's usually at least one big thing that's that's worth. Like I'm going up to the Vancouver uh, motorcycle show uh, next week or the week after, um, just to see a, a new uh, production version of the KTM 790. So, yeah. and do you get to, as part of your job, or, or, and having like that uh, creds, you know, at least from a few different publications, do you get to do first rides on some of this stuff? Uh, I'm lucky to, to work with, uh, a couple of the different brands on, uh, going to press launches and that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I have, and then companies like Honda, Honda has been really good about letting me actually go test their bikes, like take one of their 450 dual sports or one of their Africa twins and, and taking it for events and testing it out, you know, so that's been really good. Rad. Even after the concussion? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a couple couple dicey situations on a Honda, but <laughs> yeah, I keep coming back. Yeah, that's a, I want to talk about that in a little bit. And speaking of first rides, I want to ask you about uh, another first ride that you are wholly responsible for. But first, let's take another quick break, and we'll come back, and I'm going to ask you about uh, something you called the first ride. We'll be right back. All righty, we are back. We are still here with Spencer Hill, the gear dude. I don't know if we've mentioned your name enough in this episode. I think we just started rambling on. I'm just going to say Spencer and Spencer Hill, Mr. Hill, and the gear dude as much as I can in the next uh, part of this segment. But speaking of first rides, you get to do a lot of first rides on, on new product and new motorcycles, and you get the first rides with some some new gear to review it. But I want to talk to you a little bit about a foray you did into your own adventure traveling called the first ride up the divide. And can you tell me a little bit about what that is or was and what gave you this crazy idea? Yeah, I did, uh, my bachelor party. Uh, I rode the Oregon backcountry discovery route, which is an off-road route, uh, across Oregon. 
Um, and, uh, I did it with three buddies, uh, who were my, uh, um, what do you call them? Not my bridesmaids. Your they were my, groomsmen. <laughs> my groomsmen. Or your brides, yeah. brides dudes. <laughs> my brides dudes. And, uh, so two of those guys rode in a Jeep because they had never ridden motorcycles. And me and my other buddy were on, on, uh, KTMs. And, uh, we had said on that trip, we were like, oh man, we got to get you guys on bikes and we'll do this. Like we all had a great time, you know, and it was like super cool. And we're like, man, we got to do this except everybody's got to be on a bike. And so that was just kind of like a bullshit thing that you say when you're on like a camping trip or whatever, you don't think it's really going to happen. And, uh, it turns out I kind of, then I got into the industry a little bit and I started looking at logistics and, uh, I was like, holy shit, there's this thing that's called the continental divide trail that goes from Mexico to Canada and you can ride the whole thing off road. And I was like, that's amazing. And then like the next evolution from there was like, holy shit, that should be the trip that we all go do this. <laughs> on. Especially when you're getting married and they don't think they're ever going to see you again. Right. You're like, this will be our epic last trip. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> so, so then I had two guys that had, had never ridden a motorcycle before. At all. Um, We're talking like no experience. Never. Like Man. never. And, uh, and then Steve, uh, or daddy, no fun, as we call them <laughs> from the cafe racer podcast, I befriended Steve and I, I sort of knew him and then he bought the, the KTM despite all my trash talking about KTMs. And, uh, so anyways, we ended up, Steve was a big help, like organizing this trip. We got a lot of really cool companies uh, involved to help us out, make it possible, like climb and send a Bluetooth and we ended up getting bikes for these guys, getting gear for these guys. Cause they had nothing, you know, uh, no camping gear. Big Agnes gave us camping gear, uh, for these guys, you know, which is like a big investment. So like all these things that we thought, like we would come up on something and be like, Holy shit, we can't spend 600 bucks for these guys to get like camping gear. And then somebody would come through with like sponsorship, you know? So it was like this, it just kept going farther and farther past where we thought it would go. And the next thing you know, we're standing there at the U S Mexico border. Um, people wanted to get in on that shenanigans. <laughs> oh, that would yeah. be so much fun. Yeah. So it, what were these guys on? I mean, they've never ridden a motorcycle before. Did you just, did you tell them how the clutch worked and then take them out onto the dirt and see if they could do it? So they both, they both took a uh, motorcycle safety foundation, basic, courses before we left well that doesn't teach you off-road very good though (laughs) no no but i mean they knew how to uh you know start the motorcycle stop the motorcycle that kind of stuff um but basically i had no experience and i i mean i wasn't even that good of a rider i mean i was a proficient rider i could do it but i wasn't very good um so it was very interesting experience uh one of the guys, Josh, he got hurt like the first day. Well, we both got hurt. I I came off the bike going like 45 miles an hour and low sided in a corner and uh, oh. tore my tore my arm all up because I was just wearing a jersey. And he uh, had an incident like at the same time, but about a half a mile behind me. So basically it didn't end well because he got hurt and he wasn't right for like the whole next three weeks, basically. And, 
my elbow, I chipped the bone in my elbow and I had stitches in my arm and all this shit. So I was messed up too. Oh, that, but that, that was just painful. the beginning of, of, uh, of like a very long trip that was pretty, pretty epic. Um, and uh, yeah, we're supposed to turn it into a like sort of the docu-series or, you know, the, make some sort of documentary with it. And uh, we had a ton of footage. We filmed the whole thing. And uh, basically, we, we came up with a killer killer trailer. And uh, then we had about three production companies fall through and uh, about four private people that we were trying to pay to produce this, the video fall through or disappear or I mean it's it's just been unreal so I think I think first right up the divide is, is officially dead oh, but, man uh, and was that your first time doing it I mean you you did all that for the first time and then and then it died huh yeah it was incredibly looking back on it it was incredibly ambitious yeah um you know because I don't know we didn't know anything about like what if i did it now i bet you i could do it 20 times better but at the time there's so much inexperience and uh i don't know it was a hell of experience though it was uh probably the best adv trip motorcycle trip i've ever been on you know because it was like three solid weeks with uh, your closest friends uh camping and uh seeing all kinds of crazy stuff seeing the whole country you know from border to border yeah that sounds epic and i mean people have done it uh hiking and uh guy martin did it one year uh, i think it was the year after you guys did it instead of racing the isle of man he did it on mountain bike and that's kind of where i was making the joke earlier about people act like they're going you know on swiss vacation for six months when they're really going to be on three weeks on a bike what people do yeah. with on a mountain bike you know and yeah. um so yeah it, was, it sounded incredible um i know steve is just as much of a photographer junkie as you are because he's been doing it for a long time and i know he's all into the gear and and they're gear like gear nerds like i will go out with the tarp and a friggin shovel and dig myself like a half tent you know if i know it'll work and i won't die of exposure but i mean they like i know what you're saying about uh, you know, packing and logistics and all that stuff. Cause I remember I listened to the cafe racer at that time and I remember Steve having to fly out or fly the bike out or something like that. It was, it was a crazy, it did sound, uh, just listening to you guys gear up for it. I was like, man, like this is legit serious. Like this isn't something that you plan, uh, two weeks ahead of time. You guys were doing it like, uh, Ewan and Charlie planning their trip around the world. You know what I mean? And it still sounds like it got a little hairy as far as logistics and and injuries so this guy crashed you both crashed first day and you guys first day you guys finished it out on three weeks yeah i wasn't gonna let anything stop me and and thankfully josh was a good sport about it and the route um there's there's three different routes within the route an easy route a medium route and a hard route basically and so we were on the regular medium course most of the way but he was able to take like easy offshoots around a whole lot of the stuff while he was hurt yeah. uh, for like five six days afterwards yeah, like some, so, some gnarly stuff that might have like aggravated him or made him crash again or something yeah yeah i mean he i mean the guy it was a terrible idea and that's why everybody <laughs> liked it yeah that's why I was, it. most of the best ideas are <laughs> yeah because it was just a, it was an awful idea i mean it riding off road like that is like super intimidating and 
and I don't know why they agreed to it, but the, I don't think there's two better people that could have done it because neither one of them gave up and I totally would have given up. And I also would have like unfriended me and called me a dick for making <laughs> them, for making them do it, you know? So. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, that I mean, that sounds pretty rad though. I mean, it, either, either they hated your guts after that or you guys were better friends because of it. So, and I remember I checked from the wheel nerds wanting to get on that ride and he had his Ural and I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. And he made it about 60 miles before like the tranny ate itself. And I don't even think he made it linked up with you guys. <laughs> so no, he did. He, he linked up with us and we met him and, and we had a fun Ural time. We all went and got ice cream in it, literally, like the one night that he, he stayed with us. And uh, there's a funny-ass picture of me sitting in the sidecar with Josh. Like, I don't know if Josh was, like, sitting on top of the thing or sitting on my lap. And then Chuck was driving it, and uh, we all had ice cream cones. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, like, the next day, he, yeah, he literally made it, like, half a day. And then the uh, the drive shaft just totally shit the bed. Yeah, ha- hashtag Euro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what is the crappiest bike? Um, and and before we get into this, I really hope. I mean, if you guys still have that footage and you've got everything, I hope one day this comes out. You know, even if it's like in five more years and it's old news by then, it, it'll still be kind of fun to see like the time when. Uh, we were crazy and we took dudes that had never been on motorcycles up this uh, continental trail, you know? So, well, we have, we have one, like, I think it's like 12 or 15 minute episode. Like the first episode is basically done. And so maybe we should just release that, but yeah. there's supposed to be like four or five more. Yeah. Hey, there so. was that weird church that made that one motorcycle movie that everybody like bashed after that because they're like, Oh, it was like uh, an ad yeah. for the church. Maybe those guys would be down. Like they're like, Hey, there we already, go. we screwed it up. Let's redeem ourselves and, <laughs> and help you guys out with this. Um, a journey worth forgetting. Uh, they, yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. A movie worth not watching. Quote, the funniest quote I've ever heard. Somebody posted online was like, I would rather drink a tour tech pannier full of piss than watch this movie again. <laughs> Hashtag tour tech. <laughs> They're like, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I didn't even watch it cause I heard it was so terrible. Uh, yeah. A journey worth. And that, that came out, about. that came out the summer that we were going to do the first ride trip. So like that came out when we were like three quarters of the way done, like planning our trip. And we were like, shit these guys are stealing our thunder yeah for sure only they didn't like, so i think you yeah. should continue with yours so uh hey what is the crappiest bike that you've taken off road so far whether it was used or for an article or a new one that just sucked what's the what's the crummiest one like what, uh, what wouldn't you recommend someone get if they're planning an off-road what wouldn't i recommend there's what i wouldn't recommend for different reasons like i we bought a KLR 650 for one of the guys for that trip. And it's sort of like the quintessential, you know, Kawasaki's made it since like 1986 or 1987. Yeah. So like, it's like the quintessential, like dual quote unquote dual sport bike. But that thing is her- terrible, man. The suspension was awful. It's like real top heavy. Cause it's got a huge gas tank. Yeah. Uh, and that thing was like sketchy. And and then another like terrible bike that I wouldn't recommend is like a high powered KTM if you don't know what you're doing because <laughs> they've got enough they've got enough they really do they've got enough power to just 
to totally sour you on the whole sport because you'll you'll hurt yourself. Yeah, you know? which is so funny because Steve and Crash went out and got one, and Liza from the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, her last bike that she bought was a uh, one of the. 1090 like ST or whatever it was like the sport touring adventure bike. She had a, yeah. she got like a, it was like a Super Duke, but it was a, but it was like a touring Super yeah, Duke. Yeah, it was, it was like a, weird, a, yeah, it was yeah. like a weird ADV touring Super Duke. So everybody's buying them it, despite their, uh, the Spencer Hill gear dude, uh, <laughs> recommendation that you not even walk near one. <laughs> I mean, every, everybody loves wheelies. I mean, let's, uh, let's not <laughs> True. get things twisted here. And I mean, like Quinn Quinn Cody has a great a great quote about like he rode a ten ninety well he works for KTM right so he like rode a ten ninety uh, in a bunch of events and stuff and somebody asked him like well why do you ride the the twelve ninety then like what do you need it and his response was like uh, fourth gear wheelies yeah no so that's that's what you got to know is fourth gear wheelies yeah, yeah I mean. I have an RC fifty one, which by today's standards is old and underpowered, but that's a thousand V twin, <laughs> and those KTM's are twelve nineties. Yeah, and they're like, it, I mean, I don't know the the Beamer makes good power, but it's not like a hot rod motor. Like, no, that there, you don't what see is it, the LC eight. Is that what the motor is? Unless yeah. it's a new version for the twelve ninety, yeah. but you don't see are, people racing up Pikes Peak on Beamers, but you do see them racing yeah. up. Pikes Peak on KTM. And it's the same motor. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, maybe they put different cams and stuff in them and don't, you know, maybe less compression, but it's uh, the Super yeah, Duke it's, and the Adventure. It's all based on that same uh, LCA platform. Yeah. yeah. And they. I don't think they change them much if they do change them. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is a hell of an engine. I've, that's yeah. what I have in my, my 1090 right now. And. I was a single cylinder KTM guy at the six nineties and I, I moved to that and uh, it's just a totally different world, man. It's, it's a, a very cool power delivery, uh, stupid power and just a lot of fun for covering a ton of miles off. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And manageable, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're, we're getting pretty long. We've had Spencer on the, on the, the horn here for a little bit and I want to give him a chance to, uh, make a fool of himself if he so chooses. Um, I want to hear, we got, I got some funny questions I want to ask you. I want to, uh, I do want to, we, we were talking before the show a little bit and it, and it turns out, you know, somebody that we've had on the show, Amanda Zitto, who is, uh, goes by blind thistle and she's a wonderful artist. Um, and, and has done some moto adventures of her own um, off road and ADV. You said you had a funny story about her. I want to I want to throw her under the bus for a second. What you got? Let's hear Let's hear the dirt on Amanda. This is the the bear mace story. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, did she tell you the bear mace story? Uh uh-uh. uh Okay, so I've met Amanda a couple times at. Uh, at like uh Northwest dual sport events and stuff. And she's super nice. And, uh, we were riding together on this, um, I think it was Mount hood, uh, in Oregon, like this group ride that was led by my friend, Chris. And I was sort of riding sweep uh, cause I was part of the organizer of the ride, you know? And she had just got one of those new Hondas, the, yeah, the like, CB 500 X. Right. And we call it, we were jokingly calling her street tires that day because it had like street tires on yeah, it, like straight they don't, from the, yeah. the showroom floor. <laughs> and we were riding like wet 
muddy, ruddy Pacific Northwest, you know, forest roads and crap, right? But she was like holding her own. It was like, you know, with on a bunch of people that were on like 450s and 500s and stuff like that, right? And then I, we got to a certain point, like late in the day, it started pouring and we were on like Barlow Road or something, which is just, there's like, I mean, you can send the bike on a, on a bunch of different like whoops and nasty ruts and stuff. And um, th- nobody was catching up with me. And so I kind of like circled back and uh, I don't know why I thought this story is funny. It's not really funny. It's kind of mean to sell it actually. <laughs> but uh, she, she was down and obviously upset and there was like a bunch of other people and so we like helped her and stuff but what it ended up happening was she was riding and she had bear mates on her hip so i and i don't know why she but she had this like thing of bear mace right and uh she fell uh <laughs> because she had street tires on this bike and the bear mace like went off oh. it either went off or it exploded oh no and and so she maced herself. Not only did she fall down and like the, the can like hit her in the hip. Uh, yeah. The, ouch. Like, the mace went off too. <laughs> so then she was like, it was like the worst like chain of events that, that could have happened. But anyway, she was a champ and like, you know, finished the, finished the ride. Cause we were near the end or whatever. Oh, but, man. uh, that, so that was like, never ride with the bear mace on your hips. Yeah. That was the lesson that we all learned. Dude, that is rad. The, the only worst thing is could have been a, like the bike hit like a tree and it fell over on her or something like, dude, yeah. what a story. Yeah. Oh God. Well, uh, I do want to ask you a couple questions. I got some ones that we can rip off here before we let you go and get all your personal info. Uh, I'm going to start with some funny ones and then I have a, a, a pressing a serious question at the end of it here. So we're going to, we're going to go right down the list here. Question number one, what's your favorite grip, your left or your right? Right. All right. What is your favorite dog breed? Catahoula. Oh, wow. Uh, leopard dog, man. Uh, what's your favorite? Louisiana, fav- Louisiana leopard hound. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite song? Uh... Yeah, this is a tough one because there's so many, you know, so many for so many different situations. What's your What's your favorite? Jesus, Jesus Inc. by okay. Wilco. Okay. Oh yeah, Wilco, great band. Uh, what type of uh, What's your favorite type of sandwich? Uh, French dip. Mm. Are those hard to get out in the middle of nowhere? By the way, uh, you'd be surprised. Oh, good. Good to know. Do you uh, do much adventure writing in Alaska? Uh, no, I worked on ships in Alaska, so I'm kind of soured on the whole idea of Alaska. The the best French dip I ever had was in Anchorage, Alaska, so I was just going to steer you to the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) What is uh, your favorite month? April. That's a good month. Uh, What's your favorite character from the movie Spaceballs? Uh, I've never seen Spaceballs all the way through, I don't think. Man. I'm just going to say Jabba the Hut or pizza. I'm sorry. Pizza the Hut. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite sweater? Do you have a favorite sweater? Uh, yeah, I have a, uh, North face, uh, crew neck sweater that I like quite a bit. Very nice. North. And I'm, sh- I'm sure that's probably warm for the, uh, the ADV nights. Um, in your opinion, what bike has the best graphics right now? Best graphics. Uh, I don't know about graphics, but like paint scheme, I think the new Triumphs look 
pretty sick. Like the the tigers. Is that and the? Stuff. Are they the blue ones? Yeah, they've got like a really good blue and a good red and a white. I rode a white one uh, recently for that Death Valley thing, and it was like a pearly white. But I just think they look super solid. Yeah, yeah, pearly white. Uh, ironically enough, one of the more expensive paint uh, schemes. Um, yeah. What is your favorite motorcycle meme? Motorcycle meme. Uh, I don't know. Probably that one where the guy's looking at the computer and his wife's like looking from around the corner and says, I thought he said, I thought he would stop looking at motorcycles or motorcycle parts since he got a new bike. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that <laughs> like is so true. On you. Yeah. Yeah. Sucker. Um, what's your favorite type of pie? Apple. What's your favorite ocean animal? Ocean animal. It doesn't have to be a, verte- a vertebrate. It can be an invertebrate as well. Uh, I'd probably say a seal because they're they're just dogs yeah, in the water. That's true, and they love ADV. Yeah, little known fact. Um, <laughs> what is uh, who is the best actress in your opinion? Actress? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know Natalie Portman because I love her. Nah, good, good answer. Who is your favorite relative? And be careful how you answer this one. My favorite relative, like blood or married into, because hey, I'm going to say my wife. Yeah, She's there you go. Favorite. There you go. We, we, no, my daughter, my baby daughter. I love her. How old but, is she? She's 16 months old. Nice. Uh, Mine's 17. Yeah. I was going to ask oh, if nice. you had any kids yeah. because you do. A, I was going to make the joke that me and Wiggs can't afford to anymore, but you have a kid. So I guess Wiggs, we don't have that excuse anymore. Um, <laughs> What name would you have chosen for yourself if your parents hadn't chosen Spencer Hill, the gear dude? Uh, David Hill, probably. That's my dad's name. Nice. And did they, in fact, name you Spencer Hill, the gear dude? Or is it just (laughs) Spencer Hill? Just Spencer Hill. And how many pairs of coveralls do you own? Coveralls? uh, A shitload. Yeah. Probably like eight or ten. Yeah. And see, these are questions I ask everybody. And uh, you'd be surprised at how many people don't know what coveralls are. All right, last yeah, and final coveralls or boiler suits. If you really want to confuse them, yeah, there you go. Because you, you know, the marine shipping industry, you would know. Yeah. Um, we do. We do a little funny question. I got these dumb conversation cards for Christmas this year, and uh, I've been we've been ripping on them out in the in the show because who wants to answer these? Well, we do. So it's weird tonight because we have a trifecta triangle. So I'm gonna. I'm going to have to play you and ask you mine, but I'm going to let you go first. Um, uh, what Do you feel your life is too busy right now or not busy enough? It's just right. It's just right? Oh, that's interesting. Why, why do you say that given, given the, your, your workload or your, your flexibility of your schedule or what? Uh, I found a pretty good balance where I basically work nonstop for a couple weeks at a time and then I have – time with my wife and daughter for a couple weeks or so rad and and these young you know i know she's only pooping and eating right now basically but uh it's still important to to have that time especially because oh, yeah. <laughs> you're never gonna get, you're never gonna get your rad. cute little baby back yeah oh yeah, yeah and like that that age it's crazy mm-hmm. like the stuff that they pick up on and start doing and like the, oh, the emotion and like the like my daughter was uh, our neighbors. Our couple of our neighbors had Christmas lights, and last night they were both finally down. And uh, I took her over like to two houses down because the one next to us had already shut down. And the look of devastation in her face was just <laughs> like priceless. I'm yeah. like, oh, like 
she just stared and stared at just like this like blank look on her face of like disgust. Yeah. And I was like, dude, it's so crazy <laughs> though. I, I have a seven and almost nine year old and I'm actually looking to sell them pretty cheap if anybody's interested. <laughs> so hold on, you guys hold on to these cute little babies. Yeah. I, I try to remember when they were back that age. Uh, so Spencer, I'm going to ask this for you to wig since you can't see this card. I'm not even going to try to imitate your voice. I'll just uh, I'll just do it straight up here. Uh, Wiggins, what can you do to make a difference for the planet? Oh, um, I, I don't know. I I have too many gasoline vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. I, I already recycle what I can, and and I'm cutting back on meat a little bit. That's supposed to help too, right? All the wrong choices, my friend. I, <laughs> I was going to say kill a bunch of hippies so I can afford to keep all my <laughs> cool <laughs> stuff. Uh, all right, what's my question? Uh, this is actually a good one, I think, for all of us. Um, what is not being taught in school that should be? Mm, you know, they're going away. Yeah, great. They're yeah, going. To, yeah, they're, no shit. They're going away with this cursive stuff, but. Uh, I, I never you know, found that really important. I think what they should probably teach is more shop classes. You know, it's funny because being like, that's my profession, you would think that would be my first thing. But I, I keep seeing this stuff lately that I, I have to agree with. Um, fucking life skills. Mm. Like, did they ever teach anyone how to do taxes in school? Yeah. When I was a kid, you had to learn how to do a checkbook and we had to play fake family, you Dude, know. I had to learn how to write a check, but not like balance it. I mean, not balance a checkbook, but like a budget, you know, like, hey, this is how much money you make. This is how much the government's going to fucking take from you. Yeah. And then this is how much rent's going to be. Or like, you know, if you make this much, then your rent should be this percentage and your car payment should be this percentage. And like, we never like none of that. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't want kids to start killing themselves really early. So <laughs> they want the no, tax they just money. Wanna, they yeah. just want to tell them, oh, you got to take all these tests. And if you don't do good on yeah. the test, then you can't go get to your next test. Yeah. To get your next test, to get your job, it's, it's all a test. To, yeah. yeah. And it's crazy because, like, as much as I think that a lot of the subjects should be in school, it's like, how much useless shit did you learn at the same time? And some of it's like, hey, this, like, try this out so you can go find your career path. But some of it's like, okay, I'm never going to use that again. Yeah. <laughs> and, Definitely. And, they but, should teach- but then stuff that you use every day. Like you had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Like uh, don't let your boss see you uh, slacking off. That would be one thing I taught right away in high school. Uh, if there was a class on how to look busy when you're not busy. <laughs> move your arms a lot. Uh, look around a lot. Keep don't, don't I remember like there. one of my first jobs, they're like, I'm like, but I already did that. They're like, just look busy. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Spencer, you, you've got a pretty good career that has afforded you to do the things that you, you love to do. What, what would you tell a kid who wants to get into motorcycling and perhaps moto journalism? Uh, pick up a camera, start writing, just do it now. Yeah. You know, don't wait to do any of this stuff, even if it's not going to go anywhere or anything, like start doing what you want to do. Um, you know, start practicing. I wish I, I wish I would have you know, bought a crappy camera a lot sooner, uh, and started writing down, like even on that trip that I did with my, I wish I would have 
started writing, uh, documenting that stuff sooner just to, to practice. You yeah, know? for sure. Uh, and the fastest way to know that you don't want to do something is to fail at it. Uh, you know, so at least, you know, you don't want to do that and then you can start moving on to whatever else, but, right, uh, right. yeah, well, we, we've had you on the horn for long enough and, um, I know, I know it's uh, late, even though we're in the same time zone. <laughs> I know, it's, I know it is getting uh, toward bedtime. So I do want to let you let you get out of here. Um, where can people find you? And like, can you give us all your social media handles? Because I, I really, uh, if people are looking for gear reviews and even just to look at some cool photos, uh, if nothing else, like if they're not even interested in ADV, you still got a lot of cool stuff to offer. Um, so where can we where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at thegeardude.com. Uh, and then on Facebook and Instagram, you can find me at thegeardude. Um, I'm trying to think. What else? I, yeah, that's pretty much it. I yeah. don't really use Twitter Twitter anymore. But Trump, Instagram Did Trump kick much, you off of Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a good reason not to go on there. Um and then the, the other big thing that I got going that you can find me, I'm organizing uh, an event in Moab in March. It's called The Dirt Circus. And you can find all the info on The Dirt Circus on Facebook as well under that name. And uh, that's going to be a pretty cool event. Yeah, that sounds like something I would nickname my belly button. But uh, that's good. <laughs> the, the Dirt Circus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, you mentioned before ADV Moto Magazine, ADVPulse.com. And did you say Upshift Magazine? Yeah, Upshift Online. Upshift Online. So go check out his stuff there. But you can head over to the Gear Dude and, and see a lot of good stuff, see your, who you're partnering with, get a good idea of what gear to buy. Um, I mean, we could talk to you – 18 more times and get a different answer for every situation and, and this and that. And I'd love to have you back on the show. Uh, if people do have, um, gear questions and stuff like that, maybe they'll ask us and, and we'll be able to follow up with you. But, uh, I appreciate you spending, uh, your valuable time wasting it with a couple of yahoos, uh, just chatting motorcycles and things that we love to do. And man, I hope to see you out there. Maybe, maybe if you, um, if you come down to SoCal again uh, to go ride and let me know. And I have a 250 that I'd love to take off in the dirt and Wiggins can bring out his sporty and we'll do our best to keep up with you on your KTM. Yeah, is it, um, it. Is it a, like a point to point or is it like a um, like kind of a central location and you just go out and ride every day? No, usually uh, I just go out and fly in and out of LA and then set something up where uh, I'm just going out to ride in the desert, you know? Cool. Yeah, yeah, we could. That'd be awesome. There's so, be. there's so much to explore out here. So hopefully we yeah. see you around. Well, Spencer, thanks, and uh, we'll yak at you in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. No it's problem. All righty, take it easy. Hey there, listeners. This is Patreon subscriber Narissa coming to you from inside my helmet in the land of beer and cheese, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Creative Writing Podcast because you're obviously ridiculously good looking. Hey everybody, looking for a tool you can use? Not a tool that will break when you put some abuse to it? Well, I got a tool for you. It's called a Field Initiative Knives, and it's made by our very own co-host, Chris Wiggins. Go to Field Initiative Knives on Instagram. Check out the stuff that he's got going on there. That's Field Initiative Knives. 
He'll whip you one up. One that can cut a tree in half. One that can poke a beer bottle lid off. One that can even uh, double as, I don't know, a tool if you need. So check it out. Field Initiative Knives. Custom knives for your custom lifestyle. Remember... Field Initiative's knives don't kill people. I do with a Field Initiative knife. <laughs> All right, Wigs. What did you think of our interview with uh, <coughs> Spencer Hill from The Gear Dude? Oh, it was good. Yeah, um, it's some cool insight, um, and it's cool. Like, I always like to hear from people and see people that are out there doing stuff. I, I think so much, um, not just the motorcycle industry, but a lot of it, and a lot of what I see in the motorcycle industry are people that act like they're doing. Especially like with social media, like they they act like they do stuff. So to see people like out riding and and getting dirty and enjoying it and. Um, I think that's like the it's the best, you know. Yeah, for sure. And he's like I said, he's uh, got a lot of volume of stuff. I know he said he's only been doing it since about 2010, so going on a decade. But that's plenty of time. Uh, he got into it and got into it hard. And man, he's got a lot of stuff hanging out there in, in the uh, area to read. Um, I want to get into something else now. We got a. We got a phone call. My phone was ringing yesterday, and I was like, who is this calling me? Well, it turns out uh, it was somebody calling from another podcast. Do you want to hear this email? Are I'm you, sorry. Are you, like, asking? Yeah. Do you want to hear this, it, this voicemail? Yeah, let's, let's do it. All right. Let me. And I should be running my stopwatch now. Junkie, this is Mother GP. Uh, first of all, thank you for mentioning this so much. Junkie, this is Mother G. Pete. Uh, first of all, thank you for mentioning this so much on your show. I always listen to your show as well, so does Swiggy. Uh, calling me out on the uh, the Hayabusa thing. Uh, first of all, thank you for calling me out. Now, it seems to me that the issue with the Hayabusa is it's discontinued in the UK, and they have ceased production of the motorcycle and will continue to sell it in the United States as long as they have some they've already built to sell. So the motorcycle is killed as far as building new ones, but they will continue to sell it as long as there is supply. Now, having said that, the bike sells fairly well here, so it's not impossible they'll keep building it. But again, when it's just for a limited market, why would they continue to build so many when it's in danger of not passing emissions at any given moment? And they've essentially gone to the end of when they can build any under the current emissions rules. I believe they've already built them two years past it, not meeting the new emission standards, which is to the extent of the law they can do it on that. Yeah. I don't know, but if I'm wrong on this, please let me know. But that's that's the best information I can find amongst various sources, some which were just knee-jerk as soon as they announced they were killing it. People said, oh, no, it's completely dead, and then follow up 
announcements of people saying, well, no, it's not actually dead. It's this and that, whatever. In either case, I'm still taking full credit for it, you know, <laughs> essentially coming to the end of its natural life, and then they're going to make a new version or whatever else afterwards. So anyway, there we go. I thought it'd be fun to actually call since you provide this phone number for people to call, and that's fun. So, yeah. Anyway, bye. Oh, God. All right. Thank you, MotoG Pete. And the transcription in the email was so funny. I was like, what is this? Because it transcribed it to, to words, and it was so funny listening to what I was like, he must have said this, and and yeah, I was right. So, yeah, um, if you go back a couple – and yes, we do provide uh, much to our – dismay probably we would provide this number to people to call thank you for utilizing it moto Pete. i wish more people would do this and if you go back and listen to the noco moto uh podcast a couple i think it was the one uh one right before christmas they talked about the death of the busa now he's not wrong suzuki did say that the hayabusa will be discontinued and uh cited emissions you know reasons for, uh, was because it wouldn't pass emission. There was like a 2016 uh, grace period that your vehicle had to pass by and it's 2018. So that means, yeah. And what, and he's not wrong either that, that the, in UK they're discontinuing it, not selling it anymore. This is true. And I recently read somewhere that the, uh, the same is going to be happening with the GSX R750. And basically, it's the motorcycle that Suzuki's been making that there's no market for. There's yeah, not a I class mean, to race it. There hasn't been a market for a 750 since 2004. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised it's lasted that long. And or there hasn't been a race class for it. Yeah, anyway, they're not so. going... Um, they're not going flat tracking with it. They're not doing anything with it. It's, well, it's just, a four-cylinder, so you couldn't do that anyway. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, go listen to episode 80-something, The Bang, Big Bang. Um yeah, I mean it's funny because it's just they are discontinuing. He he has a point too. I was gonna say I was gonna make a joke and say Trump's gonna save motorcycling because he's doing away with the missions. But <laughs> I can tell you that what we do in the in the United States or what we don't do because I don't think that it passed just because one person says that it has to pass through Congress. I think uh, everybody, the rest of the world is is going crazier and further with. Um, emission stuff and china is said if the u.s steps out we're going to take over so if you have china going all electric in the next two or three years europe planning to go all electric by 2030 i believe it is and bmw and uh is it bmw and audi saying that we're not even going to make gas stuff anymore maybe it was bmw and volvo we're not even going to make gas vehicles anymore we're just going to go electric here pretty soon uh i think that he's right they're not going to make it for one market and uh Surprisingly, it is. It was a big seller here, probably the biggest, because this is one of the only countries where you don't have to have tiered licensing, and you can just go out and buy a thirteen hundred dollar world's fastest sport bike and like kick the police cars' doors and mirrors and make a video about it and be a YouTube sensation, right? In other countries, that'll get you banned. That'll get your license taken away. That'll get your bike taken away. And they, you know, the VAT, I think which is value-added tax, which is basically a self-imposed tariff, I think, on a lot of stuff, or like how they make up for the tariffs. You get taxed on and registration uh, feed on larger stuff. I'm pretty sure I've heard, uh, I've had other people from other countries write in and tell me. So uh, 
it's not like a 1300cc sport bike makes a whole lot of sense in other in a whole bunch of other countries especially Europe being the one that can afford it and the rest of the world being the one that rides two wheels you know what i'm saying so i agree with them it'll probably be dead soon especially if the um the thing is, it's it drinks for a thousand, it'll smoke it in a quarter mile anyway. So, yeah, the technology coming on for more yeah. relevant bikes is crazy. Yeah. And the GSXR 750, I mean, they're scaling down. Suzuki's already a niche brand. They have one of the, some of the lowest sales in the US. Like, I, can, I think Ducati and BMW are lower. I mean, even Indian sells more than um, Suzuki in the States. So, uh, I, that doesn't count dirt bikes. Dirt bikes is a whole different story. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, so I, MotoGP, you got me. I got you on the technicality because Suzuki did put out a press statement right afterwards saying, whoops, there was some confusion. We will still be selling it, but, uh, They'll probably just be manufacturing it for here for the most limited amount of times. Well, so. I think what he said was because they don't manufacture it here anyway, do they? No, but I mean, even overseas, I don't think that they're just going to sell the existing um, units. I, I mean, I think they might make it for as long as there is a market here for it. But who knows? I, you know, that's me talking. Who knows how many units they already have made? Maybe they have a quarter of a million of them and they are sure as hell not going to sell that many. So, um, exaggerated numbers hashtag not real fake news sorry about that but um but yeah so i don't know that he did get me with that and thanks for calling if you want to call us give us a call uh 704-593-2828 i think is the number um if you want to know it for sure go on our facebook page or our instagram page and uh, i have it listed up there i that was off the top of my head and if that's right i i want you to call it now and if it's wrong i want you to call it and tell me so but um yeah I we're going on a couple hours here. Do you have anything in the that you're going to be doing? I, I think this weekend you just might. I do. If the weather holds out, we have the second year of the Veggie Plate Classic at Paris Flat Track on Saturday. Races yeah, start man. at five. Bing, bing, bing. That's going to be rad. The Veggie Plate two. Um, super important date for Mr. Wiggins. We got another email, by the way from my motorbike obsessions and uh it's not a voice email so it'll just have to be read to you but he's super excited for family stuff to come back to the because it's a family family friendly excuse me about that it's a family friendly even though it's hooligans uh i know your family's hooligans but it says turdman esquire and the esteemed wigs zero nine gentlemen I hope you are well after the holiday break. I'm looking forward to a weekend filled with many motorbike-related events, including some most excellent hooligan flat track. Following this weekend's activities, I will have my Valentino Rashi-ith birthday, and I hope to chat with you at the race. And best of all, I look forward to this week's show. Later, Matt. So that means he's turning 40. Isn't Valentino Rossi 40? (laughs) 40. I think he means number. I know. Oh. I know what he meant. <laughs> so that would be 46. Yeah. God, he's only 100 years younger than I am. I don't want to leave anyone thinking that I don't know Rossi's number. Yeah. Oh, I think he's turning Vale. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Uh, but yeah, this weekend, you'll be doing that on Saturday. I will be – will I be by your side? What do you think What do you think I'm going to do this Saturday? Are you going to go out there? You want to go? You want to take the Viffer out or you want to ride in the truck? 
I want to go to the women's moto show because what's better than watching a bunch of sweaty bros go around a circle a bunch of times in one night? Going to see it. Sweaty girls. A bunch of sweaty girls showing off their motorcycles at Lucky Wheels Garage. And I'm more into sweaty girls than sweaty bros. So sorry I won't be out there watching the veggie plate too. Yeah. Yeah. not not at that race you won't, <laughs> but at Lucky Wheels, uh, I'll be out there again this year. I'm pretty sure Girl on a Moto is going to be going because uh, I've chatted well, with them. She's a girl on a moto, on a moto podcast, and it is a women's motorcycle show. Yep. She should be there. Yep, and I'm pretty much, I mean, I'm married with two kids. What's the difference between me and a, and a woman? Not much. Uh, my my sucky sash fashion sense. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, I will be out there checking out some hot builds from some hot women, and uh, be hopefully getting a few of them on on tape to talk about what it took to get there and uh, what they're doing in the moto space. And, and just I love hanging out at Lucky Wheels. It's cool. I, might, I, I might do want to say uh, I listened to last week's show. And I want to apologize, everyone. I was sick, and I thought I was out of it and sounded like shit. And then I listened to the show. And you're like, I was, I was on fire. No, I was definitely out of it and oh. sounded like shit. Oh. <laughs> I remember, like, leaving in, like, last Wednesday or something. I was like, what did I even talk about yesterday? I hope it made sense. Well, we also had kids invading us every oh, yeah. freaking half hour. I just, like, my head was just so full. Yeah. It was, I it, like, it took me two weeks to get over that. Yeah. You were like, oh, man. And I'm still not a hundred percent, but a lot, lot better. Yeah, like you sound good now. Yeah, for sure. And I like I got back to work, and every like so many people were like, "Oh, I was sick the whole break," and I was like, I was, <laughs> "Me too." I've never been sick for two weeks straight since I can remember. Like it's been years, bro. You're riding sick for all time. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a couple more things I have here saved in the uh, creative writing coffers here, and. This week, there's been so much stuff happening uh, in the motorcycle sphere that uh, we really need to talk about it. Now, this week, we won't have time. Thank thank you uh, for Spencer for coming on the show and, uh, you know, yapping with us, getting us in the ADV spirit. I'm going to take uh, Spamela out and roost a little bit now this, uh, this weekend. But um, I have been doing a lot of commuting. I can vouch for what he says about the loud helmets and how nice it is not to have one. You know... Once I finally got a nice helmet, I realized what I was missing my whole life. Yeah, for shizzle. I mean, it just, besides the fact they protect your head better, and nice is also kind of a loose term. Like, you need one that fits your head shape, but, um, and, and that fits you properly, but the noise and stuff is so much better on a nice helmet. And it's just like the noise is distracting on a cheap helmet because it's so loud. Yeah. And an ill-fitting helmet too. Like it's it's another element to distract you that you don't need distracting you. For sure. And I missed the uh, Biltwell parking lot sale, which happened this uh, last Saturday or Sunday. Or Sunday, I guess, because also um, I think Anaheim 1 happened if you're into motocross. There was also like a mm-hmm. world – enduro series that cody webb won over the weekend like this last weekend has been chock full of motorcycle events and this coming weekend as well so uh you know if you're in this area you can go to the veggie plate um it says races at five it doesn't say what time the gates are but get there early to get yourself assigned uh have we can sign your i don't know hat will you sign people's hats will you sign their bikes if they ride in sure okay they might have to bring some kind of marker 
Bring a marker. Wiggins will sign it. Wiggins will sign it. Uh, I do want to say that uh, our buddies at Atlantis Motor Garage, I haven't talked about this on the show, I don't think, but they moved. They are no longer in the vortex of Silver Lake where bad things happen to good people. They have moved to South El Monte, which is actually a little bit closer to us. Wait, who did? Atlantis Motor Garage. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, that's where we talked to to Diggs and um, Guillermo Conejo from... uh, Guillermo Cornejo from Rideshare. I I wanted to say his name like he did. I cannot do it. But they're going to be having like a uh, their first Sunday session of 2019. They got a really large private driveway, and so they're going to have a whole bunch of Japanese made vehicles from 1985 and older. So Spamala definitely uh, makes that criteria. Sweet. And it says Man, check I their wish the CBX was running. Yeah, I know. Is that an 83 or something like that? 82 last 82? year of it. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for updates. If you check their um, Insta, you'll find all this out, but it's slated for Sunday, February 10th. Um, and so that ought to be a heck of a lot of fun. Also, um, the outliers guild is coming up, which is LA's version of the one show. That's going to be March 23rd. And I think this is only the third year of it. And I haven't gone any year because I, I know enough of the people going and they're like, yeah, it's a hipster thing. Like, don't worry about it. But, um, the OG moto show registration for 2019, um, is still, I think you can still register to put bikes in there. So that's coming up. The one motorcycle show, of course, is coming up, uh, put on by the one and only CC motorcycles. Um, this is the 10th show, right? Yes. Yeah. Number 10. I remember when born free 10 happened. I was like, wow, it's already been 10. So it's going to be, uh, February 8th, 9th and 10th. Um, 8 p.m. to midnight, 9 p.m. to midnight, and then 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, and that's going to be happening in Cleveland, Oregon. I made that part up. Um, also, indoor flat track racing at the Lee and Rose Warner Coliseum up in St. Paul, Minnesota. If you go to indoor flat track on Instagram, they have a whole bunch of, uh, like I said that, they have a whole bunch of events coming up. Uh, but the one I was checking out was March 22nd. And their Instagram has like, uh, basically they've been having one like once a month. So, uh, if you're in the East coast and it's, it's too cold and wet to go outside, even, um, go to inside and watch some cool motorcycle racing on some Coke syrup. And I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. I think the long beach motorcycle swap meet should be starting back up again. Um, I think they only take like a month break for January. I think they're back in February. I don't even know if they take a break for January. I'm not even sure they do. Yeah, I know they take a break usually for the end of the year. So, um, but yeah, that should be starting up pretty soon. We got, I mean, we got the veggie plate. It's super important. It's kicking off the racing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the first flat track of the year. Uh, and then Daytona happens in March. So, yeah, you guys are getting them warmed up. So, man, I hopefully. Uh, Corey Texer is doing a race uh, this weekend also in Florida. Nice. A lot of pros are down at that. Brad, so check that out if you're He's putting it on on the East Coast. If you're on the Best Coast, check out the Veggie Plate Classic. Matt from My Motorbike Obsessions will see you out there. I hope yeah, you like. This, awesome. Hope you like the shout out on the show because it's the only one you're going to get besides the one I just gave you a few minutes ago. You probably want another one, so here it is. Hey, Matt from Motorbike Obsessions, thanks for uh, being such a cool dude and happy birthday, my man. And uh, I'll give Wiggins a piece of birthday cake to sign for you. <laughs> I would need it after he signs it. But um, man, you got any cool, significant? Meaningful sign-offs. Uh, gotcha, bitch. All right, everybody. 
Hope you've had a wonderful time this week. Thank you so much to Spencer Hill, the gear dude, for coming on. And uh, I would like to say, if you could do us a hot favor this year in 2019, we're going to pander for some more... um, some more ratings in iTunes or wherever you find your podcast, wherever you're getting this from, um, unless it's like uh, our Facebook page, and then you're just going to SoundCloud. So just leave us a comment, leave us a rating or a review in iTunes, which helps us get discovered. Let's knock the pace out of first place. You know what I'm saying? They haven't been around for a, a couple of years. So do us that favor. Check us out on the web, creative-writing.com. And uh, look up our um, look us up on Instagram at Creative Writing Podcast. Also on Facebook as Creative Writing Podcast. On Twitter as Creative underscore Writer. And on uh, Tumblr as Creative-Writing. Where else are we? The internet. You can send us an email, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Or leave us a message, 7... 7- Four zero five six three two eight five eight. Is that right? It's either that or seven zero four. I think my, it's on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. So check that out. And we are brought to you uh, exclusively through patron support. And I'd like to give a big shout out to all of our patrons right now: Patron Chad, Patron Chris, Patron Corey, Patron Danger Dan from Danger Dad's Talk Shop Podcast. Patron Jerry, Patron Lance, Patron Molly, Patron My Motorbike Obsessions, which is Matt, Patron Narissa, Patron Paul, Patron Ray, and Patron Rob. Thank you all so much for your support and everything you do. Uh, Patrons, I've actually used your money to buy two more microphones. We're getting to our goal now of $100 uh, a month, and uh, I've been using that goal money to buy some new equipment. We're going to be saving up for a new computer here probably pretty soon because this one already crapped out on me once tonight, and I'm getting sick of this. So anyway, thank you, everyone, and uh, peace out. Peace and grace. Peace and grace.